So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for conversation. Thank you for fellowship, Lord. Thank you that you put us together in this family. Thank you that we belong to each other uh, just as much as we belong to you. And I thank you for that, Lord, and ask you to help us in our relationships with one another and most especially in our relationship with you, that we would actually um, really long to go deeper and further with you. And, um, and only you can stir that up in us, Lord, but we want to say, please do it. And, uh, and so I ask you to do that uh, again as we go into this second session, Lord. Help us to understand what you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, First and Second Thessalonians then are um, really important letters, I think, um, for our own understanding of not just the present time, um, but also the future, and so that we will understand what is happening now, what is coming, and, and that above all of it, that our lives will be changed by the knowledge that we gain. That's the, that's the whole thing. You know that our lives will be changed. I don't mean big picture change. You know, I love talking about. I'll oh, change my life, Lord. You know, I want to live for Your glory, and I want to give myself to You. I want to surrender all. And the music comes, and I raise my hands, and I so want to do it. But but when it's a question of, as I say, used to say, um, driving at thirty and a thirty limit. I mean, not that, Lord. You know, something else, if that's okay. I could perhaps... I want to give myself to you and totally surrender, but I really need to get to that place quickly. So 40 is going to be much better for me than 30. And I'm only saying that and actually I'm embellishing it, obviously. But the reason I am is that we tend to think big picture with, in terms of God. And it's hard for us to do the details. God speaks to us. In, in two different ways. One is big picture. He wants you to sur surrender. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so he wants that surrender and that presentation. But the way that you live that out is in the very small details of your life. So when you woke up this morning, did you check your phone? Or did you pick up your Bible? Did you... Uh, Go to bed last night, checking emails, or were you saying to the Lord, thank you for this day? I'm not trying to say one, I'm not saying checking emails is wrong, I do it. I'm not saying looking at your phone is wrong. I'm saying that you need to put some disciplines into your life to begin your day and end your day with the Lord. And it is important. It is. I know that sometimes, you know... My daughter, for example, three children, she doesn't usually have time for a, a, a quiet time in the morning. In fact, there is no such thing as quiet time in their house in the morning. Um, so, of course, you can't have an extended time. But you can wake up and open your eyes and say, thank you, Lord, for a new day. Thank you for this day. And how do you want me to live it? You can do that. Everyone has time for that. And so it's just this idea of disciplining ourselves uh, in the tiny things that seem not important but will end up making a massive difference. So Paul's writing these letters to people who need to know this stuff because they need to know how to live. God has obviously transformed them totally. They've turned from idols to serve the living God. They are serving God. So it's not a question of they're not doing what they should do. It's that he wants them to understand more 
of what they should do. So when you come to these things, and, and some of you are so faithfully coming to these and doing Bible study with us, and, and that's, so it's not that you're not doing stuff. It's that the Lord wants to take you further, higher, deeper, whatever way that works for you. He wants to take you on, to take you on further. And um, really, when you think about that, that the God of the universe wants you to come closer. I mean, who'd have thought it? Yeah. Who'd have ever thought that he'd have wanted you? But he does. So um, as we look around the, the world today, we see persecution, and that's what was happening with the Thessalonians. They were seeing persecution right in their own town. Um, when Paul had been there, as, as we read in Acts, uh, his coming with the gospel had really stirred things up. And from that time till the time he's writing, these believers are living, doing this work of faith, this labor of love and the steadfastness of hope amidst persecution and affliction. And what's happening to them is that they're starting to think that something's wrong, that they've missed the rapture because they're suffering and they're going through persecution. And actually, um, a lot of the Bible talks about suffering, as you know. A lot of it talks about the fact of suffering and the fact that, um, humanly speaking, most people totally misunderstand suffering. Most people see suffering as the anger of God or they don't understand why God would allow suffering. If you ask, if you go out on the streets with Maureen on, in Siren Sister and she takes the, the questionnaire and stop and speak to people, if you ask them, what question would you like to ask of God? Nine times out of ten, the answer will be, why is there so much suffering in the world? People are affected by suffering and they, and they don't understand it. And mostly, what they think about God is that if God really is love, he would stop suffering. And so when you come to faith, what do you think God wants you to understand? Yeah, in terms of that, if the majority of the world, humanly, if the, if the majority of people, when asked, what would you ask God, why do you allow suffering? If the majority of people do not understand why a loving God could allow suffering, what do you think God wants us to understand when we come to know Christ? Yeah, well, he wants us to understand why he doesn't put a stop to all suffering and what is the cause of suffering. But why does he want us to understand those things? So that you can tell others, but also so that you can live through your own suffering, which will surely come and be unaffected in your spirit by it. Now, I'm not saying, of course, if you get sick or somebody dies, of course, you're affected. We're human beings. We live in human bodies. We have emotions and, and, and feelings and all sorts of things. And we're supposed to. God gave you your emotions and your feelings. You're supposed to cry. You're supposed to weep. You're supposed to mourn. Those things are what we're supposed to do. But underlying that, there is an understanding of who God is and what he will do through your suffering. And that is the thing that separates you from the rest of humanity. That is what separates you. If when you go into any sort of suffering, you behave like everybody else and scream and rail at God and tell him that you don't deserve it and why is it happening and why haven't you taken it, then you are missing something fundamental about God. 
And, and God wants us to be different. And so this is one of the things. And this is why Paul will write to them. Peter writes about suffering. I mean, he says uh, that um, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. Don't be surprised if you're persecuted. Don't be surprised if you suffer. Paul will say in, in Corinthians, no trial has seized you except what is common to man. Everybody suffers. Everybody goes through trials. Everybody gets tempted. But God is faithful. And when you are tested or tried or tempted, he will, not, he will always provide a way of escape that you might endure it. And it's the, it's the provision of the way of escape and you receiving it and living in it that actually attests to the reality of God. To be honest, if, if you came to Christ and nothing bad happened ever again, the whole world would be Christian. You wouldn't have to tell anybody anything. Yeah, and well, of course, who wouldn't want Jesus if everything was going to be totally fine forever, ever, ever? Who wouldn't come? Who, you know, if he's going to take away sickness and any difficulties? That's the easy thing. If he takes your sickness and he takes your difficulties, it's easy to live for Christ then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, nobody wants it. But the thing is, he works an amazing work through it. And that's what separates us from, from the rest of the world. I'm not saying that he doesn't heal. God can heal at any time, in any place. But what I am saying is that glory comes through suffering. And that suffering leads to glory. And yeah, wisdom. Yeah, all of it, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, could you turn to Second Thessalonians chapter one, and um, uh, we'll just read a couple of verses. Now, we um, sorry uh, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So the pressures and the problems that he had instigated, actually, in Thessalonica when he went there are still carrying on. And what that's doing, as I say, is it's causing the Thessalonians to think not how could God let them experience this, but how does this relate to the promise of Jesus' second coming? I don't think it's that they were so much asking, why would God let me suffer this way or let people persecute me? I think it's more, I can't fit this into what I understood to be the plan of God. And so Paul writes to them to assure them of their glorious future and, um, and really to to build them up and encourage them about the afflictions that they were suffering. So let's look at um, uh, verse 3. We ought also to give thanks to you, give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. What happens when you mix suffering with grace and faith? In a person. So, what happens when you, when suffering, the suffering that every human being actually uh, 
uh, experiences, or even the persecution that they were experiencing, what is the outcome of that when it is mixed with grace, the grace of God, which is sufficient for all our needs, more than, and the faith that enables us to lay hold of the grace of God? What happens in a person? Love grows. That's what he says. Your love, look at, your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love for each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. So what's happening is their love for each other has grown greater because of the persecutions and the afflictions that they're suffering. And is that when healing? healing in what way? From the suffering, from the pain. Uh, I think so. I, I'm not talking about physical now, emotional. Yeah, definitely. I think definitely that happens. Um, there is a healing that goes on, yes. Um, so for a Christian, suffering helps to produce abounding love for one another. Now, I don't want the suffering. I don't. But I want the abounding love. I want to love one another more than I love one another now. I want to love God more than I love God now. So... Is he saying to me that the persecutions and afflictions, be they like external from, from other people persecuting me or just natural automatic afflictions that happen with, with everybody? I don't know. But what he is saying is, if you take grace, if you, if you believe my grace is sufficient for you and you mix that with your faith and, and, and enable me to show that grace to you, you will love better and more. Now, I have experienced that, and I suspect that lots of you have. He says in um, verse 4, their perseverance is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance or steadfastness and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and deflections. So what has happened to the suffering that they are, they are, or the persecution that they're receiving, what has God done with that? He's enabled them, to, he's enabled those trials to work for them, not against them. That's a miracle that he has taken something that, humanly speaking, would knock you over and keep you down forever. He has taken that and enabled you to stand up, stand firm, and keep going. Exactly. Yeah. Well, he takes what's humanly we would see as negative, and he makes it, of course, positive in him. Yeah. But it takes us to understand his grace... And to, and to actually lay hold of that. Because when I say lay hold of, I don't mean he's, he's not giving it to you. What I mean is we have to possess it for ourselves. We can read the verse, my grace is sufficient for you. But until you lay hold of that, it won't be. So he's not wasting their suffering. The trials are working for them. If, if, if we're going to trust God, then the trials of our lives will work for us. I mean, I don't know if you have a situation, but if you do, write it down. Remind yourself of that. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he knows this for himself because he says in 2 Corinthians chapter um, 1, uh, if you just got a moment, go, go quickly there. 
uh, oh, sorry, chapter 4, verse uh, 14 and 15, uh, 15, 13, we'll start at 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for at your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying, our momentary light affliction, and if you read his life story, his affliction was not momentary or light. He suffered for the gospel and for, the, and for Jesus. He actually physically suffered, mentally suffered, spiritually suffered for Christ. But what he's saying here is that this is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond anything, um, uh, far beyond all comparison. That's the reality. But in order to live in that reality, we have to lay hold of it. You have to lay hold of it. And the whole purpose for these three uh, conferences in particular today, although we haven't got to it yet, is why is it so desperately important to hold on, hold on to it and lay hold of it now? Why is it so desperately important? Because Christ is coming back. He's coming back. And he's coming back soon. And what soon means, I don't know. Does it mean tomorrow or next month or two years or ten years? I don't know. But I think it means very soon. Their perseverance is increasing um, because they are, um, they are laying hold of the, all of the things that God has enabled them and, and blessed them with. And what Paul says is in, to the Thessalonians that their faith is being talked about. And um, uh, verse 11, to this end, chapter 1, also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering for Christ always brings glory to you and to him. And, um, and that's what was happening. They were suffering for him. They were holding on to their faith. They were having this work of love, this, this uh, labor of faith, or whichever way around that is, and the steadfastness of hope. And, uh, and it was causing their suffering, but also at the same time, growing them up in the faith. Ten years later, Paul will write letters to Timothy. And uh, because what he wants us to know is that, that there's several types of suffering in the world. There are, there's a suffering that comes from just being a human being. There's a persecution that comes from outside of the church, i.e. the sorts of things that they're suffering in China, North Korea, Iran, 
Um, and then there's persecution that comes from within the, the church, within the persecution, within the uh, professing body of Christ. And um, in some ways, that's the worst. You can't imagine it would be the worst, but in some ways it is because it takes you completely unawares and because it does immense damage, immense damage. Most of the New Testament talks about the damage that is done within the body of Christ, the damage we do to one another. Um, not necessarily uh, because there is a huge body called the professing church and then there is a smaller internal body which is the body of Christ. But So I'm not saying which, which is which, but what I'm saying is that when you receive persecution or affliction from people who are supposed to be believers, it knocks you completely for six because you just don't expect it. And Paul writes to Timothy about those things in Second uh, Timothy, well, in First Timothy, first of all. If you just turn your Bible pages, First Timothy, chapter four. But the Spirit exact, uh, explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. People who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. What is he saying? Some will fall away from the faith. The word for fall away there is the word from which we take apostasy. It is an abandoning of a former position. It's an abandonment of what you formerly looked like, professed, uh, spoke about. So Paul's saying that there is definitely going to be, in the later days, there's going to be a, a falling away from the faith. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 to 5, you'll recognize these. I'm always quoting these. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people as these. He's talking about people within the professing church, holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. He's not talking about unbelievers. Unbelievers don't hold to a form of godliness. He's talking about religious people, people who talk about religion, people who, who are, are going into buildings called churches, people who are professing a belief, but their lives are indicating something totally different. What does he say? In the last days, times of stress will come. What does it matter to us that there are people who don't believe in churches? Because Jesus said, to the disciples when, when he, they said, well, you know, the tares are growing up with the wheat or the, there's unbelievers here with us. What did he say? He said, leave them. Don't try to get rid of them. 
So why does it? Why why should Paul even write about this? That you know, times of stress will come because men will be lovers of self, lovers of this, lovers of that, holding to this form of religion but denying its power. Why does it matter? Because it hurts you. Because it hurts you. Because it affects you. Because not only are they going to be attacking someone who actually lives what they believe, but also they are causing damage to the name of Jesus. And that affects you, or should affect you. And Paul knows it. So he says difficult days will come, difficult times. That word difficult means times of stress will come. Times of stress will come. Because people will be holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. What's a form of godliness? Or other the word can mean religion. The appearance of religion, yeah. And so it's people who talk a good game. Do you know what I mean? I've I've used this example so many times. I love all sport. And I'm pretty good at most of the rules of most of the games, even cricket. I love football. This is my number one sport. And I can tell you the offside rule, and I can tell you all of the details about the football pitch and everything else, and I can tell you that he needs to go up the outside and he should cross the ball over there, and then he should run up there, and, and I'm telling them on, while I'm watching it on the TV, you know, you need to do this. <laughs> you need to do this. You need to. The only time I've ever played football, I stubbed my toe. So I am not a football player. I don't play football. But I can talk about the game. That's the difference. I can talk about the game, but I've never actually played the game. I've never run on the, on the, on the left and crossed the ball. I've never been an amazing left back or a wonderful you know, centre forward. or I've never headed the ball into a net. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know even how to train for it. Because as I say, you know, I break my toe. So the, th- the whole thing is that's the, that's the picture. It's people who can tell you about religion and who can talk to you about what it means to be ethical and moral and good people and, and how this is what we do. And we go to church every Sunday and we put our best clothes on and their children always look so happy going to church and yours are screaming in the back of the car because they don't want to go in, you know. It's those people. It's the people who don't love God more than anything else. And those people will do you in. They will do you in if you let them. So we need to be aware that they exist, that there's a whole ream of people who are talking as if they're Christians, but living as if they're not. There are people who will allow pastors to be uh, having an affair with someone in the congregation and still be pastors of their church. There will be people who say, it's okay for you young people to live together. Oh, I know it's difficult. You don't want to be married yet. You want to make sure. You know, this is coming from Christian mouths. There are people who are saying, it's okay. You can go out every Saturday night and fall flat on your face and vomit in the street. God knows you need to have a good time. You can watch pornography. It doesn't hurt. You'll be able to control it. It's okay. Just turn it on a little bit, but make sure you turn it off after a little while. Don't watch too much rubbish on the TV, but you can watch some. It's the people who who are constantly eroding the faith, constantly chipping away at the base, the foundation of the faith. And what we're trying to do is stand firm. We're trying to stand firm on the faith that Jude says was once for all handed down to the saints. 
We're trying to stand firm on the basis of what, what the Lord Jesus says. And constantly it's chipped away and chipped away. Yeah, but you don't understand. God didn't really know that people would be born homosexuals. You know, I'm not answering that one way or the other. I'm not a scientist. I don't know genetics. I don't know what's going on. But one thing I do know is God knows. He knows. So don't come to me with your stuff about God doesn't know this. Times have changed. The culture has changed. Yes, all those things are true. God, the, um, the culture has changed. I don't know how to deal with every single thing. I don't know how to answer things. I don't know. I know that people go and have abortions and they're not all terrible people. I know that. There are women who are desperately up against the wall and that is what they think is their only way out. But one thing I do know is that's not the best thing for them. And so if we're supposedly speaking and living for God, we need to be telling them that. So do you see what I mean? It's, but but we're, it's this constant chipping away at the base of our faith, the basics of our um, belief. And making it harder and harder and harder for us to stand. And actually bringing God down all the time so that he looks like us. So that he's going to be concerned with the things I'm concerned about. God is not like me and he's not like you. So thank God he's not like you or me. He's higher and nobler and, and exalted and wonderful and majestic and righteous and holy and good through and through. You are not that and nor am I. Even with Christ in me, I'm not that. But we have to stand for that God and exalt him at every moment. And what Paul is saying is in, la in the last days, there will be times of stress Men will hold to, doc not men, people will hold to doctrines of demons. That's what we're in. We're in a time of doctrines of demons. You think Satan's not pleased with the, with the church, want, you know, falling this way and that because we haven't stood on something firm? He is absolutely out there laughing his head off. That's where he wants us. He wants us hurting one another. He wants us arguing over Brexit. Of course, it's wonderful. He wants us to be unsteady on our feet and to be not sure and to start to get afraid and to be anxious. He wants all of that. He wants us to fall for the lies that are being thrown at the church, at the body of Christ over and over and over again. And you and I have to know that we know that we know that we know what is the truth You have to know the truth. I have to know the truth. And then we have to stand on it. Why? Because soon the day is coming when you and I will be gone. I can't wait for that day. I've told my husband, if you see a pile of clothes, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm gone. And you have a short time, a very tiny time to believe. Because the Bible says that there will be a delusion so strong that people won't even be able to believe if they want to. Garvey, were you going to say something? I'm just saying, I've been listening to you. I've been grappling a lot with coming from South Africa. Yes. Not exactly. And that is the bottom line. Yeah. 
Yes. And it's best just to really get to know him and line up yes. our conduct with his word. And yes. not listen to all these voices. Yes. Because we're going to come short. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like coming from South Africa to here. I know what it was like coming from Japan to here. It's just such a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay, so um, back to Second Thessalonians. So as well as teaching the believers about all the things that were true about them and about suffering, about persecution and everything else, what Paul also did was to talk to them about this time which is called Day of the Lord. And one thing that is so fantastic, I think, is that he gave us a timeline. He gave them a timeline in the letter, the second letter that he wrote to them. And we're going to just look at that now. And I should have. I wanted to make signs. I've just remembered that I didn't do it. And I would have given them around the room because it's so wonderful to have it visually as well as... So, I don't know. If you've got a spare piece of paper and you want to write one of these things on it, do it. And then you can stand up and hold it all up and we can look at how this timeline will make itself work out. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if to, from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved." For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Okay, so here we have a timeline. And um, as well as teaching the, the uh, believers in Thessalonica about being caught up or raptured, he taught them about the day of the Lord. You know that because he's saying to you that you not be quickly shaken from your composure. So we know that he taught them about it. He's t he taught them about a, a something called the day of the Lord, which is described in the Old Testament. If you know where Zephaniah is, quickly go back to it. It's only a little book. Zephaniah, it's... Um, just back there amongst the little prophets that you can't remember. Zephaniah. Thank you, Rosie. It's near Haggai. Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 14. Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. 
Um, I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth." That is the description, in a nutshell, of the day of the Lord, of the time that we call the tribulation. And um, you don't want to be around for that. Um, And although the believers had understood this in Thessalonica, when he told them this, especially the Jewish ones, because they knew some of the prophecies, now, under this intensifying persecution and affliction that they're suffering, they're starting to wonder, okay, have I understood this right? Have I got this exactly right? And they were disturbed because they were watching and waiting for this day, and they wanted to make sure that they hadn't missed the rapture. They hadn't missed the rapture because they believed it. And so Paul answered them by giving this outline. And I think it's really interesting. So this is where I wish I had the papers. So uh, I want to put together a list, a chronological list. So when you look at those verses, I'll be asking questions. So look at those verses and tell me what comes first in his list of things that happens. And I'm almost positive you're going to say the wrong thing. So don't be alarmed when I say no, that's wrong. Just accept that everybody does. So, what's the first thing that, in the chronological list, if you were going to draw a timeline all the way along the wall, and we started with Alex, what would be the first thing that Paul says is happening? No. The first thing, no. Thank you. See, Angela, thank you for being the one. No, that's not the first thing, although it is a thing that happens. But what's the first thing in the timeline that he says? Look at those verses and don't read them as the verses are put. Read them as in the timeline. Look at what he says here. He says, um, For the mystery of lawlessness, verse 7, is already at work. That's the key. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's the first thing. There is lawlessness going on in the world. It's already at work. So this is where we live. We know lawlessness is going on. There's no difference. We know that lawlessness is happening. Don't you? I don't have to say that to you. You know it's happening. There's wickedness and evil. Why is that happening? The lawlessness that's going on. Why is that happening? Yes, in detail, that's why it's gone on. But why is this lawlessness actually... No, you're right. You're right, Anna. That's not wrong. That is a detail of it. But why is lawlessness the state of this world? Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. He is the ruler of the sons of disobedience. And that's just lawlessness is happening in the world because of him. We live in a world that is ruled by Satan. That's why it's dark. That's why it's dead. Because it's ruled by Satan. And so this lawlessness, this lawless behavior is going on. But you do get the idea from this that it's intensifying as the time goes by. So what's the second thing then? The mystery of lawlessness is already going on. What's the second thing? And we see, as I say, wickedness and evil increasing around the world. What's the second thing? 
apostasy, yes. But I, thank you. So it would have to be Ian or Anna who's got the apostasy card. Just imagine it. So mystery of lawlessness is all the way around the room. But what's happening then is this apostasy. Now, I thought for a long time that apostasy meant falling away from faith. And then I had a conversation with Alan a little while ago, and he set me on another trail. And I'm very thankful that he did. And I'm giving you credit where I didn't need to. That's because I love you, Alan. I'm trying to be a good believer. Yeah, no. So apostasy. The word for apostasy in 2 Thessalonians is not the same word that you read about in Timothy, where people will fall away. That is the word for apostasy. The word in Thessalonians for, uh, unless the apostasy comes first, means departure. It means departure. It doesn't have any other connotation like departure from faith or anything. It just is the departure comes first. So just have another thing up here. Imagine it. Lawlessness is going on. The departure comes, right? I'm not saying it means that. I'm saying the Greek word for apostasy that's written here is departure. That's what it means. Um, I'm not giving it an added meaning. I'm just saying it does mean that. Oh, my goodness, that small thing. So, <laughs> have you got a week? <laughs> my understanding of once saved, always saved is that if Christ comes to live in you, there's no way you could get rid of him. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, he lives in you. That's it, done deal. You have eternal life. Have life from death. I don't quite know how you'd go back to death from life, especially the life of Christ that now lives in you. I believe that if you have truly trusted the Lord, you will forever be with him in glory. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, but, it, I mean, it would take two days to fully. But thank you anyway, David, for that. So, <laughs> departure, unless the departure comes. What's the third thing? So, the mystery of lawlessness is going on. The departure comes. What's the next thing? The restrainer will be removed. See what he says, look, let no one in any way deceive you, for it, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the departure comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So the, um, but then go on, do you not tell you, uh, do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, who's the him, the man of lawlessness so that in his time he will be revealed. What does restrain him now? The thing that's going to be taken out of the way. No guesses, but it's going to be the thing that's taken out of the way, right? Look, apostasy, restrainer will be removed, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So we've got four things now. We've got the mystery of lawlessness going on, because this is a lawless world. We've got the departure. We've got the restrainer taken out of the way. And we've got the man of lawlessness revealed. What has to happen before the man of lawlessness is revealed? The man of lawlessness, Antichrist, whatever you want to call it. Before he's revealed, what has to happen? I haven't given you the timeline, but you know, you just need to tell me from the timeline we've said. I wish I had the paper. I'm so sorry. So... What has to happen first before the man of lawlessness is revealed? Just the word, not the D. 
departure. The departure has to happen first. Then the restrainer must be taken out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness is revealed. He won't be revealed while the restrainer is there. So who is the restrainer? Who's departing and who's the restrainer? Well, many people think it's the Holy Spirit, but there's no capital H in the, in the scriptures. So what else could it be? It could be the church, yeah, but there's going to be the departure. Then the restrainer is going to be uh, removed. And then the man of lawlessness is going to be... Are you following or is it getting confusing? What does yes mean? Yes means you're following or... No? Everybody's confused. Okay. 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 Have we got any paper? Have we got any paper? Big paper. Okay. Could you write on that apostasy and underneath departure in the same size, please? Could Maureen, could you write on the back of your paper, restrainer removed? It's just, it's, I don't know if it's quite big enough because I want everyone to be able to see. Thank you. Hmm? Sorry. sorry, don't be sorry. Of course not, it's fine. Well, you've got to sit in the corner for a while, Sandra, but, you know. <laughs> so, but Janet will be with you, so that's okay. <laughs> so, there's lawlessness going on and increasing. You don't need, we don't need to, that, we know that's happening. Right. Then the apostasy, for it will not come, it, the day of the Lord, will not come until the apostasy comes first, the apostasy comes first. The departure, there you go, the departure. Then Maureen is going to find that the restrainer is removed. Right, so she's, are you right, are you holding that up? Thank you, you've got to hold it up. So the restrainer is removed. What could the restrainer be if it's not the Holy Spirit per se, exactly? Couldn't be Satan. I have, and I threw it out, Angela. Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, who says I may not be right? I'm just, this is my opinion. But we're not having any other odd things in here now. Sorry, say that again, Jeff. Yeah, could be, but I don't think so. I think Paul's talking about really physical th- things that, they, that, that are real in our world and that we see and know. So, yeah, it is. It's, okay, so what is currently restraining evil in the world? The body of Christ. The body of Christ is currently restraining evil. How are we restraining evil? By prayer, by standing firm, by standing up, by talking about truth, by talking about God. So, go ahead, Debbie. But because we're salt and light, because we're the light on the hill, because we're a place where people can go for truth, because ultimately the church, the body of Christ, is restraining evil. What does Jesus say to Peter in Matthew 16? I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In a world that where evil and wickedness are increasing and increasing and increasing, and you would think that the gates of Hades are going to prevail against the church, they will not. Why? Because Christ is in the church by his spirit. Matthew 16. Um, so, uh, yes. saying that, that even that 
understanding could be removed? No, no. I think that uh, knowing the difference between right and wrong, they haven't chosen God. Knowing the difference, immoral people, knowing the difference between right and wrong, having the understanding that there has to be something outside of me to give me this conscience, hasn't cho- they haven't chosen God. And here he says, because they did not receive the truth. So he says here, look, um, for this reason God will send a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth. And that happens in varying degrees, but the whole Bible says, doesn't it, it's not that you cannot believe, it's that you won't. You will not believe. But don't you think that this delusion that's going to be sent is so Definitely. 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 I do. Yeah. Yeah. Although, yeah, maybe. So definitely. Thank you, Angela. Okay, so... Uh, I, think that the, I think that the restrainer is the body of Christ, powered, of course, by the Holy Spirit. We haven't got any body of Christ without the, the power of the Holy Spirit, so it's not you, per se, it's the, it's the Spirit in you. But I think also it could include, the restrainer could include, a world leader who is currently holding back some evil. I'm not saying it does. I'm saying it could include... Um, maybe but definitely I think it means the church you know as a whole the body of Christ what will happen when the restrainer is removed according to this the man of lawlessness will be revealed he will be seen to be who he really is so whoever's got a piece of paper could you write on it antichrist revealed antichrist revealed Man of lawlessness, yeah. Man of lawlessness, antichrist, both. And his uh, activity is in accordance with who? His life will be in accordance with the activity of Satan. That's what he says. He says here, uh, for the, mystery, uh, the lawless, none, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the lawless one, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved." So now, this is the situation. The man of lawlessness is revealed, seen to be who he is. The curtain's taken away. And his activity is in accordance with the work of Satan, which means he will do signs and wonders, which is why he is the Antichrist, because Christ did signs and wonders to authenticate his ministry, who he was. The Antichrist will do signs and wonders to copy Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So unbelievers, what's going to happen in the world when the Antichrist is revealed and does signs and wonders? What's going to happen? They'll be deluded and? According to here, they're going to take more and more pleasure in wickedness. Look at what he says. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So this is what we're expecting. And then at the end, what's going to happen? 
the Antichrist will be slain by the Lord at his second coming. So he's, he's going to be completely done by, you know, overwhelmed, uh, wiped out by Christ at his second coming. So um, that's the broad overview of what's going to happen. If you, don't, if you haven't got that quite in sequence, I mean, I don't know that it matters too much, but it's nice if you can get it in some sort of sequence and, and work out the scriptures so that you're not just reading off the page, you're actually seeing what happens when. Go ahead, Francoise, are you going to say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it says that it doesn't. It says, look at this. Um, um, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come the day of the Lord unless the apostasy, the departure, comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Who opposes, um, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So I think it, it, the apostasy, the departure, it might be simultaneous with the person. It might be simultaneous because he might be a leader who is a Christian also, so he'll be gone. I'm not saying, but what I'm saying is the apostasy definitely has to be, the departure has to be at least at the same time as he is removed before the Antichrist is revealed. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. He'll be someone who is making himself seem like a Christ, but he's actually opposed to all the things of God because his activity will be in accordance with the work of Satan. So whoever he is, he's not Satan, but he's someone energized by Satan, moved by Satan, used by Satan, whatever. Yeah. He will definitely be a person of power. We're just taking one little section out of one little letter. You know, I mean, if we did a proper timeline, it would take the whole room and there would be masses of information in it. If you really want to know this, come and let's study it together because it is possible for us to know, not necessarily when, but how things will play out. Yeah, the sequence of events. Because the thing is, you know, you and I are supposed to know these things. Paul's taught them about the day of the Lord. Why are we supposed to know these things? So that you can tell other people. So that you can tell other people. So that they can see this is going... You're not going to sit there and try to explain it like we've just done here and then fill in all the details because they'd all be asleep before you got through the first few verses. You're struggling to stay awake. I can see it. No? Okay, well then get a bit of life about you. Stamp your feet. No, but the thing is, is, this is hard to understand. This is not like ABCs. This is more. And this is like the writer to the Hebrews saying, saying as he said to the believers there, I've already taught you all the elementary teaching. Why do you keep wanting to go back to the elementary teaching? You need to be pressing on. 
to get the deeper things and the, and the other things of God so that you understand. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. We're supposed to understand what's the day of the Lord like. And I made a joke about my husband and him coming home to a, you know, a room full of clothes and nothing else. That's a joke. But I want him to know that because when that happens, I know he's got a very short time. But I know it's still possible to believe. Because God, if we filled in all the other details, God never leaves. The, it, it, until this world is burned up, it is always going to be possible to come in to God. You won't be part of the church because the church will have gone. But you can still come to God. And so I want my husband to know that you've maybe got seconds to fall on your face and say to God, I'm so sorry. I want him to know that. I mean, I talk to him about it. He looks at me like I'm, you know, some science fiction movie. But, but I want him to know that. And you want your loved ones to know that, don't you? You want them to know. And so you don't mind looking like a, you know, fool. Because you want them to know. But you can't tell somebody what you don't know. And the, and the thing is, that the reason that we are to know all of this, we've already established from Paul's first letter, is that we would encourage one another So how can we encourage one another? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's not encouraging. The world's getting more and more wicked. That's not encouraging. Oh, but something great's going to happen. The departure's going to come. Yeah, great Jesus is going to return. The departure's going to come. And I believe that is the rapture. It's another word for rapture. The departure's going to come. The restrainer's going to be removed, maybe at the same time. And the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. What? As? I think it could be the... um, Oh, no, sorry. The leader that's removed is maybe part of the restrainer. Don't Don't hang your hat on it. Don't stand on it. Go to the Bible and look it up. You know, just because I've said it, I mean, I know that I only ever say things that are totally true, but, but you need to check it out. So the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed when the church is out of the way. The church is, until the church is out of the way, until the departure comes and the restrainer is removed, the man of lawlessness can't be revealed or won't be revealed. But when the church is gone, think about it. If it's the church that is restraining evil, when the church goes, can you imagine? You think the world's bad now. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? Yeah. I don't know if he is. It's just an idea. I wish I hadn't thrown it in now because maybe it's a bit confusing. So, sorry. Um, Yeah. I suppose what I don't want it to be the Holy Spirit. Not I don't want it to be. I don't think it is the Holy Spirit because it is still possible to come to the Lord after the church is removed. And if it is still possible to come to the Lord after the church goes, the Holy Spirit must be around. (laughs) Because you cannot come to God without the work of God. See what I mean? So it's a bit confusing, but or a bit complicated. But um, if you've got what? Oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. What book that you read from? The Bible. Oh, the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 
yeah. But you know what I would say, Alan? You know, I mean, there's, I know what you're saying, and we could argue about whether the Antichrist will come from the European Union or whether he'll be a Muslim or whether he'll be something else. But actually, does it really matter? It doesn't matter. All that matters is that we know he's coming and that we know, even if my timeline... Well, it's not my timeline, it's Paul's timeline, but even if the departure doesn't mean the departure and the rapture, even if it doesn't, we'll be able to recognise and the restrainer will be removed. And if, if the body of Christ is not the restrainer, I don't know what is. What is possibly the restrainer of evil in this world if it is not the body of Christ powered by the Holy Spirit? Can't, yeah. It's interesting, don't you think? Maybe you don't. Maybe you just want a sandwich, but you can't have one yet. So, okay. Paul says that the, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Um, uh, and he says that, uh, and that the, this, these things are going to happen. And I think there's loads of Christians who have a, a problem about the timing of the rapture. I mean, how much we like to argue about when things are going to happen. And, and you know, I mean, it's so important that you believe what I believe, because what I believe is totally right, and what you believe is totally wrong. So you need to be turned into my thinking that's what we do as Christians. We spend hours and hours and hours debating what's right and what's wrong. And all the time, God's saying, does it really matter? Comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with the fact that you will go to be with Jesus one day. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then you and I will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. How amazing will that day be? Yeah. Exactly, Anna. Yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's so simple, isn't it? But there are zillions of books written about the timing and the events. And so Jesus said we would all believers will face tribulation. John 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So you and I, all of us, will face difficulty, tribulation, trial, troubles. But you and I will not face, this is my um, understanding, you and I will not face the tribulation. We will not go through it. I think that I can make a very solid case for that. But it doesn't matter to me if you can make a very solid case otherwise, that's fine. All I know is one day I'm going to be with the Lord. And that fills me with joy. Um, so Paul's encouraging them to stand firm. He finishes by saying to them, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So what is um, the purpose of us knowing any of this stuff and, and, and living in the knowledge of it? What's the purpose of it? So we stand firm, right? What else? We can comfort one another with the truth. Yeah, what else? Establishes 
To establish us in every good, good work and word, yes. Glorify God, yes. So what is the purpose of the, of the prophecies and the future revelation of what's going to happen? What's the purpose of it? It glorifies Christ if believers live in the light of it. So do you know what's going to happen? Do you know the details of what he says is going to happen? I don't mean the exact timings, but do you know that these things will happen? Because that glorifies Christ. So it's no good for us to sit here and say, I don't, I, I, I don't want to know any of that stuff. It's too complicated. That stuff is about 40% of the scriptures. And God wants us prepared and, and wants us to be able to pre- prepare, prepare one another. Exactly. He wants us to know it. And it glorifies God when we do. And it also it builds our faith because we understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to his people forever. He has revealed things so that we can own them, take ownership of them. Exactly, exactly, exactly. God has specifically and deliberately given us understanding of what the world will be like as we get closer to the rapture and what is going to, uh, what are the signs of the times. Um, so, uh, yeah. So tell me again from the timeline just before we finish up. Yeah, the order. I want the order. Mystery of lawlessness is at work. The departure. Restrainer is revealed. Restrainer is removed, sorry. The man of lawlessness, what? Revealed. Yeah, Antichrist is slain by the breath of his mouth at his coming. I mean, it's just an amazing picture. Okay, and just before we finish then, I want to make sure that we understand God is not just putting this in Second Thessalonians. This is not just what he wrote in one letter of Scripture. He wrote it all the way through Scripture. And, and next year we might do a half day on all of these particular signs and how, how it's playing out in our world. But um, uh, I want to, can you go to Ezekiel chapter 22? Because I've just said to you, Deuteronomy 29, 29, God reveals these things to his people because he wants us to know, because they belong to us. And the reason he wants us to know and the reason he has revealed them to us is written here in Ezekiel 22, verse 30 and 31. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. This is God's indictment of his people Israel. He searched for a person who would stand in the gap and build up, um, stand in the, in, and build up the wall, but he could not find someone. Why do you think he's told you stuff? so that you will stand in the gap, so that you will build up the wall, so that you can actually reach in and, as Jude says, snatch people from the fire that is already raging. God wants us to watch and wait for the coming of the Lord. He wants us to be ready for his appearing. And not only that, he tells us to eagerly anticipate the day. 
2 Peter chapter 2, sorry, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Um, we'll say 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. What's the purpose of Peter telling us those things, of God telling us through Peter? Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will, be, will melt with intense heat? What sort of people are you supposed to be? You're supposed to be holy and godly, and you're supposed to be looking for and actually hastening the coming of the day of God. How can we possibly hasten the day of God? Yes, he wants to come back for a perfect bride, so there's that. We can go along with his work of transformation, definitely. Yeah, that more people will be saved. That's, yeah. Yeah, we'll be more godly, so we're becoming more and more. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans 11. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, that is, that um, the Jews have temporarily been hardened, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until... The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? The fullness of the Gentiles. Yes. The fullness of the Gentiles. What does that mean? The number of the Gentiles, the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Because... God has temporarily hardened Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. How can you and I hasten the day of the Lord? By bringing more Gentiles into the, into the faith. By preaching the word, by living the word, by telling people about Jesus, by living in front of them, by helping them and caring for them and comforting them and, and being Christ in your community, you can hasten the day of the Lord because you will be bringing more and more and more people into the body of Christ. Well, that's why I'm saying it, Juliet, so hopefully we will. So that's what it means by being a watchman. That's what God means by waiting. He means hoping, understanding that this day will come and that we've got to do everything we can to prepare for it. You have to build an ark while it's not raining, which is not very often here, but you know. You need to build an ark. So look at the person you're sitting next to and make a decision. Let's build an ark together. This is going to be a tall order for me on my own. I need other people to build this ark with me. Will you build it? What you're doing is building a place of refuge for people to come to. You're not going to save them. You can't. Only God can. But you can make it possible for them to see where their salvation lies by your building of this ark. When the last Gentile believers come in, then the rapture, the departure will happen. When the last Gentile believer has come into the church, the rapture will happen. Oh my goodness, when's that going to be? Today? Tonight? Is there someone here who's a Gentile and not yet believed? Could you be the one? 
I know. There you go. That's a matter for prayer, Barbara. But don't be fooled or deceived. People are coming to Christ in their millions around the world. There are 245 million believers currently persecuted for their faith. 245 million believers currently being persecuted for their faith. And that is happening in places where they are coming in, coming in, coming into the church. They're coming in to faith where the persecution is worst. Don't believe the lie that the church is dying. The church is not dying. The church is on fire around the world. It is growing at a fantastic rate. It's just here in the West that it seems to be faltering. So, how are you living? Will you be ashamed when you see Christ? You know, I'm not, you know, I I try to not go too far down the terribly sad road. But I don't want you to leave without thinking about this. Will you be ashamed when you see Jesus? Because he could come now. Will you be ashamed? Are you fulfilling the purpose of your life on the planet? Your purpose is not to be a good parent. Your purpose is not to be a good human being, ethical, responsible. Your purpose is not to save the planet. Your purpose is not to, to you know, right every wrong and, and vote for the right party. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to proclaim Christ Jesus. And everything else is a part of how you do that. Second Corinthians, we're going to finish with this. You'll be glad to know you can get some lunch. Second Corinthians chapter four is Paul's well, Second Corinthians is Paul's probably his most personal letter, and in it he shares his own testimony often. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse one to six. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus Christ. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have renounced. The word renounced, what does it mean? Turned away from, we have avoided, we have determined to avoid or turn away from some things. We've, it means to reject. We have rejected these things. We have rejected the watering down or the adulterating of the word of God. We are refusing, it means refusing to be involved in something. And it means to speak publicly about what is shameful. You, when you renounce something, it's a public declaration that this, I am turning away from this. And we are to speak um, only truth. Paul says he's renounced cleverness. 
He's renounced watering down the word. He's renounced dressing up the truth in pretty clothes. He's, re- he's renounced making it acceptable so that it doesn't offend anyone. He's renounced all of it and he's speaking only truth. Jesus Christ is saviour. He alone saves. We don't worship the same God as the Muslims. We don't. We worship the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship the God who had a son. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not offensive to say that. It is truth to say that. And Christians have a responsibility to preach that truth and to live like we believe it. Um, If you give in to the world you're going to be giving in to those times of stress that Paul talked about. And living for Christ is hard. It's hard. And the only way to, to persevere through it is to make Christ big in your mind. To just magnify Christ. Deliberately. It's not just going to happen. You have to deliberately put activities into your life that will magnify Jesus to you, to you. That you will make him so big that everything else will become really small. Um, but we have this treasure, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Is this your testimony? Is it? Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians 4. Um, now I don't know you know I'm imagining that none of us can have Paul's um, testimony but we may have part of it Um, but just as we finish if that's not your testimony in any way shape or form then listen to these words of Jesus speaking to the church in um, uh, in Laodicea Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, 
I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is outside of that church. And he is calling to the people inside. Open the door. Open the door. And I fear for the church here. The professing church. I do. I don't fear for the believers because I know that God will hold them. But I know it's a two-way thing. We have to work with God. And if we're not working with God, I fear for you. Because working with God is evidence of salvation. David said, do I believe in once saved, always saved? What I would say is that um, faith is the conviction of things, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. That belief is evidenced by living, by behavior. And if your behavior, if Jesus is outside the door of your life, you're not saved. No matter which church you go to. So, I, um, I'm going to pray before lunch, but uh, I, I really would like, if you can, either when you've finished eating, probably because you're hungry now, if you would sit and take some time to think through what we've said and pray about it, ask, him, ask the Lord to open your heart and, and show you what's in there so that you can surrender. We often pray, search my heart, Lord. You know, that's the prayer. Search my heart and show me what's in there, Lord. So that I can confess and repent and surrender all to you. So, Father, that's what we want to do as we, um, as we head off now into uh, eating our lunch together and fellowshipping together. And, Lord, um, I thank you so much, really, that you wrote to that church in Laodicea and gave them the opportunity to open the door. And so my prayer is for anyone here, if Jesus is outside, Lord, that they would open their heart, open the door and ask you in. And I, I think it's amazing, Lord, that you will actually go in. I pray too, Lord, for all of us who do know and who have come to faith in, the, in you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you really would take, um, help us to take some time to, to search our hearts, to ask you to search and to show us the, the condition of our hearts and our minds and 
And show us the way that we might surrender to you more of ourselves, that we might be filled with the Spirit so that we can do all the things that we know we are to do and that we might be able to live the way we're supposed to live. I thank you, Father, for this time. I thank you that we'll, we'll each be feeding our body. I thank you that um, that's important too. And I thank you that you will be present with us in all of our conversations. I praise you, Lord. I praise you because you are wonderful. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.